in order to reveal truth. Systems have to be stressed or fully stressed. Many other ways of saying it, systems need to be maximally stressed before truths are revealed. I've said that in multiple different ways and different, different um, ideas around that. Um, you have to, we'll, we'll, we'll be able, I'll, I'll get into stress and adaptation and growth, you know. But if the systems are not stressed, stressed um, and I'll use this particularly for human strain and human growth and human adaptation, um, cognitively and physically. To put it into two simple areas, but the whole idea that you're not going to get to particular truths and you're not going to get to um, understand or see what a system like a homeostatic organism like a human um, is capable of unless it's stressed. You know, and, and so the, the idea around uh, presenting this as um, something that's important was definitely important when the vocabulary around stress and uh, living in the 90s was kind of important. And the study of it based upon the back end decades of research in adrenal physiology and blood markers, et cetera, you know, um, managing stress and, you know, what, what it was about was a, uh, um, was important. And now in 2023, um, we have certainly as humans found ways to manage stress. Um, but we're, we're trying to come up with and design stress in a particular way that, we think is going to get us to these truths around what we're capable of as humans. And it's not. Um, and in many cases, uh, we're not necessarily promoting um, the right individuals that are doing stressors that are straining their system or stressing the system. Um, and you generally have two lanes, those who overstrain and, uh, overreach and, and, um, are, are just as sick or just as messed up as those who are apathetic uh, and are very, very understressed. Yeah, we also don't have a very clear language on what stress and strain to the human means. Um, you know, we definitely have a perverse perspective as to perceptions of stress and what is stress, you know, with the, with the whole chain umbrella victimology and, and uh, as opposed to Victor in, in a particular stressful situation, which is probably a whole other area of, of uh, human social research to get into to determine why as a whole, we probably are overall less resilient. You know, um, my insights into that resilient aspect was always, was ironically came through nutrition stuff and my studies in nutrition aversions and allergies and et cetera, only to come to understand that, you know, it wasn't the, 
as an example, gluten, that was the issue, is the humans that were the issue. So what's the problem with humans? You know, why can't humans handle this? That's the question that should be asked. We shouldn't be investigating gluten. We should be investigating why humans can't handle it. You know, you can, all, you can still get into types and kinds and et cetera, but... Yeah, systems need to be stressed before truths are revealed. And you could think of, you know, um, the first question that you could ask to get yourself in place for what is the optimal stress, let's say, for, for males and females alike in a life, you know. But before you say, before, before you get there, and for those of you who are recognize, who don't recognize what this language is, it has a lot to do with maximum physical potential. So if you take uh, the conformity that we have around what we need to do in society, you, know, you take that out of the picture. Um, and what I mean by that is you take away all of those things, you know, the, the industry, industry, technology, jobs, money making, et cetera, just strip it all away. All the things that, um, as you could, you could, uh, go to our fitness and philosophy podcast upcoming on social reality, all the things that we, we make, uh, and design. Just remove all that, you know, and you've got the male and the female stripped down and you're asking the question, you know, how do they maximally strain themselves and stress themselves effectively to grow and adapt? So you take, and it is really important as a, that as a thought experiment to start with, because um, if you don't take that as a thought experiment, the the way that you're going to, going to go about answering that question of what is the optimal or kind or version of strain and stress for a human to grow and adapt perfectly to have the greatest life possible, you're going to end up where we are today, which is basically a hack model or what I call the sports medicine model, which is basically overstrain, you know, and performance or understrain and apathy. And ironically, both of them lead to sickness, not vitality. So just ask that question, you know, what, what is a maximally strainful biological life without all of these social conformities that we have around us? Um, and you may land on something, you know, you may land on something. It is, it's somewhat important for today, uh, just reading more recent research uh, from what flew in front of my eyes and the information that I'm getting out there uh, around, I could be incorrect on this, but uh, Italy's um, births, uh, birth rate is 1.24, I think, you know, so per uh, woman, it's 1.24 and they will lose, I think, net 20 million. So that means that if this is this, they're going to be net 20 million less in their population by the year 2060 or 2070 or something. So just think about that, right? Even if I'm wrong by 2050, 2070, or if I'm wrong by a million, you know, um, 20 million less people in a country. 
So that does enter in. How does this tie into strain and stress and what that means? Because, you know, we don't necessarily, and it's just what it's, it's our, you know, it's one of these things that we have to contend with um, that, uh, you know, for a male to build a family and then protect that family um, without all these social conformers things that we have around us now when our basic needs were the most important things we had to take care of. I always say, just go back to like, you know, on the plains of these Western, you know, people moving out West, you know, in the late 1800s as an example, or even in the 1800s, you know, and, Think about, well, I'll tie back into what I'm, why it's important that I'm bringing up the Italy example, is that that was well accepted as a, as a way of, you know, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot in there, but for a man to, uh, to look forward to and to build a family with a lot of kids and then to protect that family and secure that family and to, and to produce those children and help them move on and learn and experience what this thing is called life. That was a big physical, um, maximal biological time frame of strain and stress. And likewise with the female in that position, right? Um, you know, having or trying to have 12 children being successful and having eight of them and then losing two of them in birth and only keeping six children. But over the period of, you know, 30 years or 25 years and 444 shots at menses from age 13 to 50, uh, this female and, and the egg possible egg production, this female experiences what I can't do the math on that, but she only experiences 180 menses over instead of 444 um, because of all the opportunities for pregnancy and childbearing and breastfeeding and et cetera. And my whole point B is that that's, that's a, that's a maximal biological strain for a lifetime. Right. And that's why I, I think that entering into this uh, idea on systems need to be maximally stressed before truths are revealed. It'll allow you to make sense of all the nonsense conversation and the very performative narcissistic, you know, things that go on today that seem to be important and seem to be stressful, but it's not stressful whatsoever. It's not, it's not any form of stress. And that's without me even entering into, you know, what people look like they're doing for, for stressful situations to make them grow and adapt and stay healthy. I still think that's a very low order conversation, but. So you can see why the point that I was making on um, the Italy conversation on the birth rate, et cetera, that. So what happens to a society? And we can just use that particular grouping of individuals. What happens to that society? Uh, over time, if there's less people around, right? Now, as I said, that's a, that is a whole other uh, philosophical conversation for another time. But let's just take the idea that it's it's good to have families, and it's good to have um, a nuclear family, and it's good to have multiple children produced from a nuclear family. 
um, in larger percentages, let's call it a majority, wink, wink, uh, a majority of those individuals. And, um, and there's lots of, there's lots of reasons why that won't work out for, you know, overpopulation and future resources for energy and et cetera, et cetera. But there's just so many positives to what I just mentioned of the strain and stress that's placed upon the male and the female physically for their lifetime and how quote unquote that reveals a whole bunch of truths right the truths around what it is to live a virtual virtuous life you know truth around things like what really does matter so as an example if you just take that away and uh, i don't want to place this argument entirely inside of that for males and females and and productions of humans and families and the six Fs and et cetera. I don't want to just lay it in there, but let's just take the opposite notion. So let's just say that it's well accepted among society and let's just come back to America. Let's say it's well accepted among society that, that this, this stressful, strainful event of creating, you know, three plus kids per family is not important anymore. Let's just say it's not. And then there's multiple quote unquote ways around it. You know, there's, there's, there's multiple ways around it, you know, and this has got nothing to do with taking an anti-natalist or pro-natalist, you know, position is just asking the question, well, what happens if the majority flipped and turned its head and we still developed all these different forms of relationships between adults and they just didn't want to produce. The, the point I'm making there is that they won't get to those larger life experiences of truths being revealed on something that really matters in life if they don't partake in this physical strain. I'm giving you an example of the person moving out west of the physical strain of not only just moving out west, but... Um, building a family and securing it and growing it and protecting it, right? So it could be said there that deep, deeply inside of us, even back to hunter-gatherer populations, it was a really important thing that, and Jeffrey Miller goes to this in much more detail, more, more eloquently than I can say it, but there was a lot of, a lot of positive reasons for that particular male to stay with that one female for a long period of time and to produce as many humans as they can and to protect that, protect that group and that family. And likewise, for that female in that, in that grouping, you know, take all forms, again, of, of technology and work and everything out of it, that female, it was important for her to be the, 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 the maximal physical stressful event for a lifetime and strain is nurturing. And there is nuance in that, and it's and it's uh, um, you know it doesn't look the same as that. I would say in ninety eight percent of the time, amongst all that hunter gatherer groups, that was the case. And there was smaller percentage of people with just different sexual preferences, as well as just a just not necessarily an innate connection to having that done. And that's all fine and good. That's what happens within uh, populations. But what happens now? We're you know, 25,000 years later, it's 2023, 
and it's well accepted out there that the gig is up that people see that the concept of the physical strain and stress behind building a family is just not important and it's not there so we got we got the thing is that i want you to see parallels in this is that we're trying to come up with ways we're coming up with ways to develop stress and strain and I want you to see the parallel in fitness. Okay, we're coming up with, we've designed and we're, we're creating architecture around developing these pseudo concepts of stress. When really they don't make sense. And they're probably artificial in a lot of cases. And I'd largely think in the fitness realm as I've been beating on drum for 10 years, it's all about intentions. Right. And, you know, I go down the road and, you know, serfdom within fitness based upon that, because if you don't have the right intentions, you're a slave, right? You're a slave inside of fitness. Oh, I'm going to be healthy. It's like, no, actually, you have no no idea why you're doing this. Oh, but I'm doing it to lose weight. That's going to, that's not going to end well. Don't want to tangent into that, but. Take that idea, take the idea in mind and say, how do we then, if we're, if it's well accepted that we're in this new landscape and we, you know, it makes sense to a lot of us for that conversation of this, let's call it a traditional version of strain and stress, maximal strain and stress for male and female for a lifetime that will reveal these truths around purpose and meaning and, and all these deeper aspects. Um, you know, so how do we find that sweet spot? If we know that we have to design it, we have to come up with the design. How do we find the sweet spot then between strain and stress that causes growth and adaptation? What is the fine line between too much and not enough? Right back to that, dyad i guess that's happening in people's artificial version of that stress today um you know there's there's a gosh there's so much data showing that uh, people are actually not straining themselves enough right i think the most recent stuff is 70 percent of americans are over fat and 40 percent of americans are would be considered level one whatever the language is now for obese And I don't keep meaning to pick on that, but um, you think that's going down? You think that's going to turn around? Come on. Come on. So take the notion that it's not going to turn around. What is that a sign? It's a sign that more and more and more people and generations of people and families and everyone and communities were all going to be behind this idea that it's not necessary as a human in America to, to strain yourself or to stress yourself. And the reality is it's not, you don't, you know, you don't have to. Because there's so many ways around it. And then there's the other side. There's the percentages of people that overstrain. Right. That in the performance realm, 
right? Do way too much of it. And they're held on this high pedestal. Um, as if they're, you know, superior to the apathetic, overfat individual. And they're not. They both end up sick. So what do you have? You have a very few small individuals, a small number of individuals. Not all small. A very few small number of individuals who recognize that they need to exercise because they can and because it's for them. And it lands us on this, I guess, a sweet spot, as mentioned, between um, too much and not enough strain. Or sorry, too much. Um, the sweet spot between too much and not enough strain. Yeah, I did say that eloquently. Too much and not enough strain. Systems need to be stressed before truths are revealed. Trial and error is a really important part. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'll see if I can pull it up because I have it right in front of me. I was reading um, aspects of John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. And I underline an aspect here in this particular. Um, if I don't connect it, then I apologize, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it had to do with trial and error of, you know, trying to find the truth in conversation. Yeah, here we go. Nope, didn't get it correctly. Thanks for your patience. Anyways, for those who wanted to take the time, It comes from the shorthand Heterodox Academy book called All Minus One. It's an illustrated book of John Stuart Mill's ideas on free speech. Anyways, can't connect it. But the point I was going to try to make, and I was hoping it was going to make it sound really cool because it looks like I was doing uh, you know, particular research on John Stuart Mill to come up with uh, this, but I didn't get it. Yeah. Anyways, there has to be trial and error. What does a human need to physically stress its system? You need a lot of stressful trial and error as a kid into a teen. You know, so as a young child come, becoming into a teenager, you know, how does how does this human become well practiced at stress? and strain and how to deal, deal with it, right? Just ask that question. How does that young person do that? You know, you have to have role models, right? You can listen to our fitness and youth podcast with Dan Young and myself, um, based upon all the, you know, humming and hawing we do over this particular area, but there's, you know, you got to have role models around, you got to have institutions and communities. Everyone's got to be inside of that thing for it to work for people under, for young individuals to look around and go, oh, okay, this is just what you do, right? You physically strain yourself um, to, the, to the right amount that causes learning and growth and adaptation. 
And you do it for no other reason than just that you're capable of doing it. You exercise for the sake of itself. Right? You physically stress it. That's what I mean when I ask the question, what does a human need to physically stress its system? It's a lot of trial and error. And that's why I was trying to tie in the same thing with free speech uh, from John Stuart Mill's portion on that on liberty. It speaks a lot around, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, maybe realize you're wrong. You've got to uh, hold an opinion that when it's against someone else, you could figure out some things that you do have right and you do have wrong in your opinion. And third, um, you may you may get some things from the other opinion that strengthens yours or that helps the entire conversation of the particular topic. So what I mean by that is that inside of even the idea of going towards truth, right? Like what is truth inside of this conversation of free speech, as an example, um, there's got to be a lot of debate, a lot of conversation. It's the same thing for physically stressing a system. I'm hesitant to say that it's the same for all systems, but I wanted from the outset to say that, that in order for truth to be revealed, you have to stress the system. For, for today and for this conversation, I'm going to assume it's analogous to all, you know, systems. And there's, you know, fine positions on the kind of stress and adaptability and growth and learning and et cetera. But those systems have to be stressed. What does a human need to physically stress its system? A lot of trial and error. You know, so that young person. To make it simple, uh, that small child, right? They need to, you know, trip up, you know, and get back up. And they need to like move or climb around the playground. This is something that's right in my lane. So hopefully you can make it, you know, um, analogous to behaviors and emotions and cognition as well. But they need to have a lot of trial and error. Right? They also need some good role models around as to like, you know, how you, you know, don't just run out in traffic. You know, how you don't, you know, steal stuff from a store. How you, you know, hold the door open for your elders. You know, I'm just giving you a little insight. Things that are beyond just physical, you know, things that young people need to look around and see others doing. Uh, and they need to have all those opportunities to, to experience physical stressors and physical expression. And to do it wrong. To do it right. To get hurt. To have some bumps and bruises and cuts. Right? To not die. Right? To not, you know, break limbs. So it causes permanent damage. More specifically, you know, if I was to be really, you know, specific and contextual on this topic, please protect the head and neck for young kids. Right? Because, you know, mild concussions of a developing brain... You know, just shit around the neck and head is bad news. So if you want to do stuff that's besides just putting this monster helmet on them until they're 12, um, you know, just in, in context, be a little more, be a little more sure about that one. And I won't go down my tangent on um, young male football players, not American football players, or anyone with contact, I guess, hockey, rugby, etc. Um, of any sex, <laughs> really, you know, young soccer, etc. Um, so we got to find this nice, nice fine line between strain 
and nothingness that causes that individual through trial and error experiences enough so that they're stressing the system and straining the system so that it can grow and adapt and get better. And luckily, I mean, up until at least, you know, mid forties or 50 years of age, we have all these biological systems that are ready and waiting to learn about how to make the system more efficient and how to keep it as good as possible. And that's a slow, patient reward, the reward, the pacer process. heard me speak about it before maybe you have not but i think it's a big issue that a lot of people pretty much don't do anything until they're 23 and then from 23 to 30 they discover something like crossfit and they go they you know turn into this you know uh adonis or this wonderful looking being and all, all this transcendence mentally emotionally through suffering and then they have all these metabolic disruptions and orthopedic issues at 30 and no one hears about them right so that's called Overstrain, which again leads to sickness and death. You know, but for t- from 23 to 30, it looked pretty good. That's what I mean based upon, you know, getting these trial and error situations into young kids really is the fix, in my opinion, for this whole conversation. Ask yourself this question too. Who are emblems of cognitive and physical stress application? Who are emblems of that, right? Maybe the philosophers, you know, that asked some really hard questions and had this particular point of view of things. And maybe that, that philosopher, you know, uh, chopped wood and went for 15 mile uh, walks every day. Or maybe they, you know, um, went uh, rock climbing. Um, or large hiking expeditions, you know, or, you know, I just use the chopping wood idea because I want you to tie it into, you know, some form of contractions that are a little bit more unsustainable that uh, what we didn't have, you know, uh, any use for the concept of this artificial expression like punching bags and seated chest presses, you know. I mean, you're chopping wood and cutting wood and building shit, and then you're also hiking, and then you're also philosophically writing and thinking and contemplating on these really big things. I think that's, you know, that's that I think is the answer to the emblem of a human who who, who has the highest level of cognitive and physical stress application. Now, there are, there are many humans today, adult males and females, who do both of these things, you know, both of these things. And again, now you're hopefully you're drawing this This like, okay, well today in 2023, you know, again, to my point, we don't have to do things like we did 200 years ago. Right. That was this innate thing that was important for physical stress and strain. But today it's really hard to look around and actually see any humans that have the, the the deepest correct intentions inside 
you know, of recognizing that all these things we put in front of us today are not actually true positive forms of stress and strain that's going to cause optimal adaptation. It's going to cause compensatory adaptations. Meaning you have the, and I'll use the male avatar in my lane. You have the late 40s um, uh, working male who also uh, goes to the gym four days a week. Okay. So that seems, you know, okay, so they're cognitively challenging themselves, right? Through probably the vocation area. And they're physically challenging themselves. Yeah. But that's my point being is that do you see it from the out on the outside looking at that, it looks like they are doing, you know, a modern version. Right. But my point is is that they're not gonna progress as much as people think they are progressing towards this, you know, let's call it this enlightenment expression scenario, unless they know, unless they know. And they're aware of the fact that these are just artificial constructed versions of stress and strain, right? That they are actually putting them together. So it's a key point, you know, that if I ask them the question, and they giggled and were like, listen, I know I come up with these things, right? I come up with this. I'm part of this whole process of labor and vocation, but I'm more interested in, you know, what happens with my family after work or watching the, the Cubs and how they do in, in, in baseball. That's far more important to me. Um, but I know that I'm just, you know, artificially pushing, putting, putting these things in place for cognitive challenges. And I know that I'm artificially putting together this this form of stress physically at the gym four times a week where I, when I know when I'm there, I could be doing certainly other things that I wish to do, you know, but if they know these things, then it is possible that they may move forward and they may transcend and they may get to the point where they become free and, and uh, not dependent anymore on uh, the concept of coming up with ways of strain and stress, you know. So it's very difficult, back to that question, of looking at role models and who are people that are emblematic of this cognitive and physical uh, stress application knowingly, you know. They're, they're knowingly aware of these and maybe that's just a, a bullhorn call to inspire people also. You know, that's the third leg of the vitality model. Eat real food, move every day, and learn and adapt. That's what I mean by the learn and adapt cognitive aspect. Is that, and I've just spoke about it more recently in the conversation on the difference, difference language between minor and major. Um, we have to ask that question, you know, are we going to be the people that inspire others to continue to challenge ourselves cognitively and physically? My personal opinion on that would be that, yeah, go about doing that, but don't tell anyone that that's your project. That shows that your true, your intentions are true. And those are, in my opinion, better intentions to have going towards that.
that's a maximally stressed example for a male and a maximally stressed example of a female for you. And then moving into adults, it's, it's a little bit more simple. And the reason why I'm just putting it into context here is again, to go back on my thoughts that I have on, you know, when we say youth or when we say minors, what does that mean? But again, just remove all those things and, uh, of society. Okay. And the conformity around society and what we have to do today. Now put them back in place and then say, okay, well, how do we get there just besides of the awareness aspect? And an example would be, um, graduating high school. How about that? Graduate high school. Um, and they can write their own movement and food plan. Okay. And that goes for the answer to what's a maximally stressed male and female example for young people. The, the maximal cognitive stress is the, of course, socially um, derived concept of education and knowledge gaining. What we have in place for that, you know, it's called public education or education in general. You graduate from high school, right? That would be the, the, the maximum cognitive physical strain, right? And then if you are capable of your, writing your own movement pro program and making it consistent for you, like you know why you're doing what you're doing and it's pretty easy for you to implement, which I do believe it is. Um, then the thing that nourishes both of those is doing your own food plan and knowing how to come up with that. So the answer to that question of what is a maximally stressed male or female for today, that's the right amount of stress and strain. It's actually a fairly simple answer. Graduate from high school and write your own movement and food plan. For today, for adults, I would say it's a vitality consistency program building the competency to get a job and secure it and then improve yourself as much as you can to find a partner and then to build a family. It goes back to what I mentioned before on the definition of the big F in the six F's of family, um, nuclear family conversation, etc. Because um, right now I'm, I, I'm speaking I want to speak particularly to um, late teens or young adults that are quote unquote on their way and that are not there yet as like a maximalized brain and a maximalized young adult wanting to move into a relationship and having children. Um, I'm telling you that a, you know, a great version of a maximally stressed, strainful life can actually be, implemented just like it was 200 years ago in going out west and the reason why it will work today is that you know you're aware that you're actually doing this and putting it together because it's innate and it's something that just is like in your bones something that you can be good at and for both males and females you know being consistent on a vitality program 
getting confident enough to get a job and secure it and then keep improving yourself as an adult through a, in my preference, a one, one relation, a relationship with one other person and then developing a family. Right. And focusing on those would be the answer to how do you, you know, what's the maximal stress and strain expression for, for adult male and females? That would be it. Nothing different. And to put it in you know, simple terms, uh, lift weights, walk a lot, and build a family. That's <laughs> when, when we added in these concepts of industry, money, technology, narcissism, etc., and we're saying it's 2023, that, that's, you know, that's where you'll sit. Again, it's the awareness of you having to design it that makes the difference in it. You know the saying, um, uh, he cracked under pressure. Maybe... You can look at it in this way, because just just ask yourself that question, you know, or ask yourself that statement. What do you think about initially when you hear that statement? You can pause right now if you want to, right? He cracked under pressure because we all have our own stories around that, or she cracked under pressure. Okay, so maybe the cracking that occurs under pressure, maybe the crack is meaning a final insight into what really matters. Or maybe the kimono is opening up and coming off. Maybe it's not you know, one breaking apart at the seams. Maybe it's an unveiling of sorts to perhaps something true. He cracked under pressure. That's the, that ties in the statement, right? That truths are revealed when the system is stressed. And I know that for today, our problem is we don't need to strain, but we do have to design and architect with full knowledge and full awareness these artificial strains and pleasures. And if you know that you're doing it, and you know that you're aware of it, you're ahead of the game, and you're on your way.